Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Here's what Mark 6, let's read this together. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 29 says this. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, and such, or rather, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? It says, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. It says, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Couldn't believe it. Then he went about the villages, notice this, in a circuit teaching. Verse 7 says, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He also said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake the dust or shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went, they went out and preached that people should repent. That was their message. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now King Herod heard of him. For Jesus, his name had become well known. And he, Herod, said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it's Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Now, we're going to conclude our scripture reading here with a parenthetical story about how John the Baptist was beheaded. Welcome to church. Let's read this. This is heavy. For for, for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Sketchy. Verse 18. Because John said to Herod, here's why Herod put him in jail, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You can't do that. Verse 19, therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. Why? For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Verse 21 says, then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, 
and pleased Herod. This guy's an absolute creep, no, no joking at all. And those who sat with him, the king said to the little girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask, mom? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist, preferably on a platter. And the king, notice this, was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him. So he's suddenly a principled man, right? It's interesting. This guy's all messed up. So he didn't want to refuse her. Immediately, notice this, the king sent an executioner, and he went and beheaded him, John, in prison. He brought his head, uh, it says this, the executioner brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, it says they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord, to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for the gift of your word that illuminates our lives, guides our path, and brings us closer to who you are and what you have for us. And so, just a simple prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, come and speak. Holy Spirit, come and reveal. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to receive your word Help us be moldable. Help us be those that can transform towards the way you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your seat. All right. You know, we got to this section here, and it was like, we could either do one of three things. We can, uh, we can do a whole separate teaching on John's beheading which uh, through prayer and study revealed there was not much to study there, except, you know, be careful, you might get your head chopped off if you follow Jesus. Um, the other option was just to skip it all together, and let's just not read that section. And then we were like, well, that would be out of principle and sorts for us. We've been reading and studying through the whole Gospel of Mark. So the third option was like, let's just read it and include it in our study. We're focusing particularly on the way of Jesus, too. So, I, you know, I was, if anything, was going to call that teaching, like, the way John died. Maybe that's how I would have done it, you know? Uh, but anyway... That's just some little extra information for you today. If you'd like to take notes, why don't you write this down? Uh, still not working here. Mike, why don't you throw it up? Uh, the title of the talk today is The Way Jesus Ministered. Every week we're looking at a different aspect of the way of Jesus. Here in Mark 6, we have a particular focus upon the way Jesus ministered. The way that he ministered. That's the focus of this section. Uh, Jesus' ministry at home in Nazareth, that was the first verses. We see Jesus' ministry through his disciples. And then we see in the end here, as, it, as uh, Herod comes to know who Jesus is, we see the ministry of Jesus gaining greater notoriety and fame from local high officials. It's not just the poor that know about him, it's the rich alike. Now, this isn't the first time that ministry is the focus in the, the Gospel of Mark. In fact, that's really the whole Gospel of Mark, as we said, is about the life and the actions of Jesus. Um, a couple uh, weeks ago, we studied how he began his ministry. Uh, but the reason uh, for this is because ministry was such a central aspect to the life of Jesus. Really, every chapter in Mark has something to do with Jesus's 
ministry and the way in which he did this. Now, before we move forward and study this, we've got to pause and take a moment to define some terms. Because immediately when we hear the word ministry or Jesus ministered, we automatically have certain categories and definitions that we conclude about this word. The tendency with the word ministry is to think about certain people in the church or certain employed individuals that have microphones and stand on stages and give sermons, or who go overseas and and are full-time in ministry um, on the mission field. And though there are certain offices of capital M ministry in the church, I want to clarify what we mean when we use this word. And let me say this, what the Bible most often means when it uses the word minister or ministry is this idea. Here's the definition that we've kind of gone off in the past. Ministry is simply this. It's using whatever I have, however I can, to serve God and his kingdom wherever I am. What has God given you, and where has he placed you? It's it's stopping and, and being surrendered to the purposes of God right where you are with whatever you have. Ministry isn't so much a platform. In the Bible, it's not just a platform or a position. Ministry is a posture and an approach to life. Each of you today could leave in ministry if you adjusted your posture towards your life, right? If we just subtly adjusted our approach to using whatever I have, however I can, to serve God and his kingdom wherever I am. Uh, That's what we see modeled in the life of Jesus. This is what actually the word ministry literally means is to serve. We know that, right? It's just serving. Uh, Here's Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says about himself, Mark 10, 45, you got that one? It says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. You see that? And to give his life a ransom for many. This is the posture. You see the, the posture and the approach to life? I'm going to approach life saying, God, I'm fully available. And listen, I'm fully abandoned to your purposes for my life. That's a be- By the way, that's a beautiful way to spend your life. Not for me, not for my pleasure, not for my joy, not for my own purposes, but to say, God, you know what's such a better life to live? A life that, like Jesus, was just fully abandoned in service to your purposes. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I love this scripture. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You could change that word out and say, for ministry, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every day we get an opportunity to wake up and surrender ourselves to God's purpose for our lives for that day. To say, okay, God, here's a new day, and today I'm going to use whatever I have, however I can, to serve you in your kingdom wherever I am, whether that's in my home with my little ones, whether that's in my workplace using my vocation, Whatever I have, wherever I am. Jesus models this kind of ministry beautifully. Reckless abandonment in service to God. Now, in chapter 1, when we looked at Jesus' ministry, we looked at sort of the specific nature of Jesus' ministry. That's what we looked at in chapter 1. The teaching was called The Way uh, Jesus Began, How He Began. And we looked at, I think there were six or seven specific aspects of the things that Jesus did in ministry, like what he went around doing in service to God. This chapter is less about the specific nature of his ministry, and instead what we saw in our reading here was more like the general navigation of Jesus' service, how he navigated the different things and obstacles that his ministry came up against. And so let's look back through this 
observing the way Jesus ministered, and let's see some key aspects of his ministry here in chapter 6. The first thing, you can write this down that we saw, is we saw Jesus' ministry. It's the first thing we saw. We saw his ministry, his service to God, missed at home. It was missed, missed out on at home. That was the first thing. Jesus brings his ministry tour to his hometown. And he comes to his own people in his own hometown, and we see that his ministry was missed out on. Let's read this again. It says there in verse 1 that he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. Jesus has been on a ministry tour. His fame is blowing up because of the power in which he's ministering with, because of the, the, the messages of, of life-changing transformation that he's bringing. Jesus is, you could say, trending in Israel, all right? Hashtag Jesus' ministry is going on in, on the Galilean Twitter, okay? He's blowing up everywhere, and he brings, again, the tour to his hometown, where you maybe expect Jesus to be most received and most loved. Like, there's nothing like a hometown what? There's nothing like it. When the hometown hero comes to play the home game or to play the home show, there's something special about it. Well, such was not the case with Jesus. It says, when the Sabbath had come, here, here's what he did in his hometown of Nazareth. He began to teach in the synagogue. This is one of the, the, the main marks of Jesus' ministry. This is what he did. He, he went around and he brought clarity to what the Bible says. Here's what God says and here's what God means when he says this. And so he would go and do that in the Jewish synagogues. Notice the response. Many hearing him were astonished. Notice what they were surprised at. They were going, where did this man get these things? I remember this Jesus. I remember him growing up in the, in the hood, in, the, in our hood. This, this is not the same Jesus I remember. Where did he get this? Now, the answer here is, is God. It's from God above, from the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice this. And what wisdom is this which is given to him? They're blown away, first of all, at his teaching. His depth of insight that comes by the, by the revelation of the Spirit. They can't believe the words that he's bringing. He teaches with authority. He's not like the religious leaders of the day that just regurgitate some other, you know, old dead guy they read and, and try to make it, you know, package it in their own words to sound smart. He's bringing the power of the Spirit in his preaching. It's, it's significant. It stands out. Notice this. That, and also that such mighty works are performed by his hands. He's not just like a microphone ministry only guy. He's a guy whose own life is displaying the power of God. That's real ministry, isn't it? Like when you get off the stage. Like that's real ministry. Not just his words, but his works are even powerful. This is the, the great combination of what makes powerful ministry. Biblical words and powerful works. And this is Jesus. Now, it says this. It says they're astonished. Now, at first glance, you might go, oh, they love him. They're astonished. They're wowing. They're in awe. But here's what the next verse says. They had a problem. Their problem was familiarity. Notice what it says. Is this not first the carpenter? Jesus, I don't know you in this role. I know you in this role. And what you're going to see happen here in a minute is you're going to see the people of Jesus' hometown box him in. This is what we know about you. And what you're going to see is they, they know little enough to think they know everything. Isn't that the worst, by the way? When someone maybe about you, they know little enough to conclude everything about you. Nobody likes this when it's done to themselves. And we tend to do this towards people all the time. Worst person to do this to is Jesus. To box him in. 
Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this, this is the son of Mary. They're just trying to like humanize him over and over again. They're trying to remove the God factor. They're trying to remove the spirit factor. They're, all they're doing is what Paul says not to do. They're regarding him according to the flesh. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? He, he, this, is, this guy's a blue-collar worker. He's no one. He's just a son. He's just a brother to all these guys. Poor Simon, the only guy that doesn't get a J letter, you know, in his name. It's a good thing there's no J in Hebrew, actually. Anyway, let's move on from that. All right? We know his siblings. He's another sibling. Are not his sisters here with us, too? The guy's got bros and sisters. It says this. So, notice the posture change from astonishment to offense. So they're offended at him. Who do you think you are? What do you, what do you think you are, Jesus, the Messiah? Right? We know who you are. Notice the limiting perspective of Jesus. Notice the, listen, notice the contempt, which is what the, the common saying is, familiarity breeds that, breeds that contempt. Uh, look at the next verse here. It says this. Verse 4, Mike hooks up. There we are. It says, but Jesus said to them, notice this, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. This is what Jesus says to them. Now, the, the goal here is when God sends someone into your life, um, the goal for you would be to honor them, right? That's the goal, It's to honor. We, we're called, by the way, to honor one another. Called to honor our father and mother. Honor. Now, honor has a lot of different meanings to it. I want you to think of the simplest rec uh, idea of honor means to, to simply recognize, to recognize. Like, if you bring a coupon that's expired, do you know what I'm saying? You ever done that? To Chipotle, you're like, free guac? All right. And they go, no, we can't, we can't what? We can't honor this. It's expired. So to honor, it, it, it means a lot of things. It's to hold in high esteem. It's to hold in high regard. But it can mean to recognize the worth of something. Or to not recognize it, to dishonor it. And, and that's what they're doing here. Because it's his hometown, they know this Jesus. On the, on the mission field, where he's not a hometown hero, where he's not another sibling, Jesus is being honored. He's being esteemed and recognized for who he is. They are recognizing who Jesus is. And listen, and when you fully recognize Jesus, you actually get to receive all the gifts that he came to give you, right? I mean, like, that's why the Bible says, and it's one of our favorite verses, Honor your father and mother. It's like our kids' memory verse every week, you know? And there's truth to it. When you recognize the gift of mom and dad, you receive the blessing of mom and dad. When you dishonor authority, when you dishonor parents, you actually, you, you're, you're robbing yourself when you dishonor. Does that make sense? Like, let me say this. Even when we dishonor each other, and we don't recognize the gift of who each of us are in the body of Christ, we miss out on all the church is meant to be. Does that make sense? We miss out on relationships. Here's what Jesus says about his ministry. Mike, it's Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says this. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. You see that? If you receive someone as sent by God for who they are, you actually get to experience the gift that they came to bring. But a prophet is not without honor, Jesus says, where there's familiarity and where he's box in. And so I, I want us to look again here at verse 5, which I think is one of the most depressing verses in all the Bible. Mark 6, 5 says, now he couldn't do a mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, those that recognized him and welcomed him. But he marveled at their unbelief. Now, this is really interesting. Imagine this, Jesus comes to your hometown. Imagine this, 
Jesus shows up at Solus. Wouldn't that be awesome? We like to believe he does it every Sunday. But imagine Jesus showing up into a gathering, into a group of people. And it's not that he doesn't want to work. This will mess with your theology a little bit. He can't. He couldn't do a mighty work in a posture where the spirit of God was being quenched, in a place where God was boxed in, therefore God was boxed, listen, out. Let me say it this way, um, and I just said it, but let's, let's repeat it again. If we box Jesus in, we will box Jesus out. This is the idea. This is the idea of Nazareth. This is the idea for each one of our own lives. When we live according to the flesh, when we live with this spirituality of routine and boxed in legalism that goes through the motions that has no real relationship with the living true Jesus and we're boxing our Christianity into something comfortable for us, we're actually missing out on Jesus and all that he comes to do. Like, so this is a, this is a, a humbling thing for, I think, each of us to ask ourselves individually. Like, Jesus, where in my life do you want to do a mighty work, but I'm quenching your spirit because I'm boxing you in? I'm not creating room and space for you to speak to me, to lead me. And then I started thinking, like, God, I don't ever want to be a community that prevents your mighty work. Isn't that the, isn't that the worst case scenario there? Fr Francis Chan says a lot of powerful things. One of the things he said is the, the biggest definition of, of um, failure in life is not that you don't succeed, but it's that you succeed at things that don't matter. That's the biggest failure. Not that you fail, but that you succeed in life and all these things that actually don't matter. And I go, God, in my life, I don't want to be climbing this ladder that's missing out on whatever you have. So it's a posture that says, Jesus, we're welcoming you. We're honoring you. This is what church is about. We come into this place and we just honor Jesus. We recognize who he is in truth. We don't allow religious familiarity to breed contempt in the house of God. We come into the house of God with expectation and real astonishment and real awe and real wonder. And listen, that kind of a community is birthed out of a bunch of people who experience that in private who get alone with God on the regular and say, God, wow me again. Surprise me again. Show me where I may be boxing you in and reveal something new to me. Help me not get too familiar with you to where I miss out on what you want to do. Amen? So the first thing we see, that was kind of a one-person amen, but it's okay. Well, hopefully the sermon gets better. Um, I know even if it's not a verbal amen, I know for each of us that's a heart-level amen. We want all that Jesus has for us. Amen. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> his ministry at home. Second thing we saw in this passage is we see his ministry multiplied through his disciples. So we see his ministry is missed at home. Um, he was unable to do a mighty work there except a few things because he was boxed out because of certain mindsets and religious expectations and familiarity about him. The second thing we saw in this passage was we see his ministry multiplied. This is really beautiful. He multiplies his own ministry through his disciples. Um, the way that he does this, it says in Mark 6, verse 7, is he calls the 12 to himself and he sends them out two by two and gives them power over unclean spirits. So here's the next phase. Jesus goes in a circuit teaching. 
He does the ministry. And it's kind of the classic mentorship thing, like, I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I watch. And now it's at the point where like, he's like, you do. <laughs> and, and we'll follow up later and see how you did. And so Jesus is going to send his disciples. This is how he's, by the way, this is Jesus' master plan of evangelism for the whole world. We know this, right? He ascended into heaven and gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples and said, go into all the world. And he didn't say, go hog all the ministry as individual apostles. He said, equip people for their ministry and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. The Christian faith is where it is today. Like you and I, if we are, we are followers of Jesus because of multiplication, because of discipleship. Because of people who took Christianity seriously, didn't treat the church like some sort of commercial market thing that I consume, but understood the church is the, the, really the missional community of God sent into the world to serve and make disciples who make disciples. And so Jesus models this here. He says, okay, you, you guys have been watching me do the ministry. Now I'm going to send you out. He takes the 12. He blitz, uh, splits them up into six teams of two. He goes, I want you guys to go out. I'm going to give you power to now do what you saw me do. This is discipleship. Um, this is, by the way, the best way to learn how to serve Jesus is just to be completely unprepared for it and go for it. People are like, Andrew, where did you go to ministry training school? I'm like, doing ministry. You're like, that's messy. I'm like, it is messy. It's very messy for everybody involved. Um, but this is, tr this is how it works. It's not like you go, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm fully equipped. I'm filled with the power of God. And now I'm ready to change the world. Here, no, it's like, God, I'm just going to obey you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bold at work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mindful of how my actions are affecting those who are watching me. I'm just going to go in, in service to you and trust that your grace is enough. So he sends them out. It's so beautiful. Now, what he does is, this is kind of cool. He sends them out on like a short-term missions trip. We don't know how long. We know it was local, short-term local missions trip. I've done a couple of these when I was a youth pastor. Took some short-term local missions trips um, with a rowdy bunch of high school students. Good times. Ministry training, for sure, for sure. And I want you to notice a few things uh, that he does as he sends them out on this short-term missions trip. He sends them out first, notice this, two by two. That's really interesting. You know, he could have just sent them out individually, we need to think about this. He's creating a model of how ministry and mission should be done in community. He sends them out two by two. Um, we know that uh, the scriptures say in Ecclesiastes, you got Ecclesiastes 4? It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Just stop there. Like you're, You and I were called to go out on ministry, but we can't do it alone. You know, there, there needs to be people in your community group that know you're trying to reach your neighbor, that are praying for you, that are encouraging you when you're hitting walls. It's a communal effort. It's a collective effort. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. That's Ecclesiastes 4. So Jesus sends them out. We get this picture of collaboration. Like, you could do it yourself. And, you know, as the African proverb says, if you, you, know, you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. It's going to be harder, but it's going to get you farther if you don't be a one-man show, but you learn to rely on one another and co-labor Together, it's a beautiful lesson even in that. But, but it's not just a, a duty to go out together. There's camaraderie in that. There's encouragement in that. Um, I would have quit a long time ago as a church planner if I didn't have brothers around me, strengthening my hand when I'm weak and, and vice versa. That camaraderie is so necessary. I think there's also, if you want to go back to our verse, Mike, 
uh, Mark 6, 7. Uh, there's also something beautiful about the variety of ministry that's going to happen. Like, he could have also sent the 12, like, you all go together. But there's just beauty in the variety of people that are going to be reached as this thing splits out. Like, you think about our church. Every Sunday, we gather. And then as we leave here, we scatter to all our different mission fields. And you are where you are because Jesus puts you there. Start thinking that way. You're in your neighborhood because Jesus puts you there, and you are the missionary to those neighbors. You are the missionary to those coworkers. Um, no one of us can reach the whole world, let alone the whole city, our whole town, our whole neighborhood. Just this beautiful picture of variety. Now, notice the next thing. He sends them out two by two, but then he also gives them, this is huge. He doesn't just give them a plan. He, he actually, he deposits into their lives power to serve him. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just say, go get to work. He says, here's what you need to do the work. It's my power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. This is a borrowed power the disciples have here. It's a borrowed power. They got to give it back. It's a temporary, like, alone. Here's some power to go serve me on this short-term missions trip. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this in Acts 1, 8 to the disciples. He says, you will receive power. This is after he's died risen, and he's about to ascend. And the disciples are like, Jesus, don't go. We like, we like you here, Jesus. And he goes, no, 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 you need me to leave. It's to your advantage that I go, because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But if I ascend, my power, listen, will remain in you and with you forever. So even at the Great Commission, he says, not just go get to work, but go sit and wait, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, like, every inch of territory that has been taken for the kingdom of God for the past 2,000 years has been because of the power of Jesus empowering people to go forward into where God's calling them. It's the power of God. It's beautiful. Now, the cool thing about us as Christians, post-ascension, post-cross and resurrection, is we don't have to borrow the power of Jesus. If right now you're like, oh, I need, my battery died, you know, spiritually. And I need, actually, my, bat, my car battery died yesterday. This is a true story, right, babe? This really happened. If you wanted to hang out with me, you had three hours to yesterday at a gas station. I, it was okay. I found a seat in front of the car wash. And then they kicked me out of the seat. They're like, this is for car wash customers only. And I'm like, power of Jesus to love you right now. But... <laughs> And I had to get a whole tow. I, my, 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 because it was a complimentary battery, it's the Toyota Care thing, it's going to be great. But a lot of times it's like, I think we can think that way about the Christian life. Like, I used to have a powerful battery, I used to serve Jesus mightily, but now I'm in the season of life where I am now, and I'm so far from God. And so, I, God, Jesus, can I borrow some more of your power? Listen, you have the Holy Spirit. He's in you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you wander, I'm still with you. See, the power of Jesus is not so much about earning your way to God, but it's saying, God, here I am, use me. Give me that unlimited supply of your power to serve you. Help me not do this in my own strength. And, and listen, if, if that's what we're doing, if ministry is just the efforts of man, then, then tow this thing away, right? We don't need ministry like that. Even this morning, I find myself, I get in such a routine. I'm preparing my sermon, and I say my prayer, but it's like, I just stopped and I said, Jesus, give me your power to serve you this morning. Something as simple as that, as you go into your workplace, would you give me power to serve you? The good news is it's not borrowed, it's permanent. Amen? 
All right, let's keep working our way through this. Verse uh, Mark 6, you know, whatever the next verse is. What is it? 8? Nice. It's a good one, all right? Notice now his instructions. This is really interesting. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey. So now he's going to give them like their, you know, every short-term mission trip, every mission trip has a packing list, doesn't it? You ever been on a mission trip before? Here's, uh, it's, it's got a packing list. And that's what he's going to give them here. Um, in fact, Mike, fill this up. Check this out. I, I don't know how I found this. This is from 2014. I know you can't read it. It's okay. This is a packing list <laughs> that we had for a short-term mission trip that we took with about 40 high schoolers. We did a, a, a short-term local trip to Miami Beach. Don't recommend doing that either, but um, <laughs> with all those kids. Um, and here's the, notice this packet list. It easily, a packing list, it easily accessible cash, debit card, student ID, copy of health insurance. You know, when you're taking students, there's a lot more at stake here. Um, prescription medicines, they're all from Boca too, so you get that. But <laughs> can I bring my heater, you know? Um, we, did a, uh, we did some missions where Brittany and I in, in the Bahamas like 15 years ago, and there was a girl, she was from Boca, and we were going back to the dorm, and she was hungry, and uh, we're like, well, we have some apples. She goes, okay. She goes, are they Granny Smith? That's what she said. We're like, <laughs> from Boca. Um, I mean, but this is a loaded list, like, and this is necessary for kids, but there's, like, there's easily accessible things, snacks, there's toiletries, uh, medical things, there's basic kind of clothing suggestions. You definitely need that when you're taking high school kids. Then there's a miscellaneous section, you know, garbage bags, zip now, Look at this massive packing list. Go back to the verse. I want you to see Jesus' packing list for, his, for the disciples' mission trip. Sandals, the clothes that are on your back, and a staff. It's interesting, right? Minimal. I like it. Minimalism, right? No bag. Don't bring a bag. Don't bring food even. No bread. Don't bring any copper in your money belts. No money. Just go as you are. Listen. Because I don't want you to be tempted to rely on anything except my power. I wonder today, man, how many comforts do we have that we depend on? And you look at certain parts of the world where there are deficiencies of materials and there's just simplicity and power. I'm not preaching a poverty gospel. I'm not saying in order to be sanctified, you have to be poor and have nothing. But there's something to a heart that says... The horse is prepared for battle, but deliverance is from the Lord. We trust in the living God. You're the one that has to reach my neighbor. You're the one that's going to reach my coworker. You're the one that's going to make it happen. I want you to pack so lightly that there's nothing that can be done in the end except give glory to God for what he's done. You can't put your trust in, in your tactics. Now, it's really interesting, too, because the symbolism here is that of Moses in the Exodus, pair of sandals, a staff, and you're going to get into some dirt. And what a great picture of what ministry is. God, we're just here. Moses isn't the deliverer. Moses is just an influencer, a leader who's there to take people towards freedom in Christ. Lead my people into the promised land. Take them out of Egypt. Verse 10 says this. He gives them some instructions. Wherever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. This is really important. Back then, hospitality was everything. I mean, everything. Like, southern hospitality looks like Boca hospitality uh, compared to this culture. I say Boca hospitality because Boca is one of, like, one of the biggest idols of Boca Ratonians and probably South Floridians is, like, privacy to, to an, an extreme. Like, I'm, like, you knock at my door, it's like peeking through, like, who are you? Do you want to kill me? You know? 
And so in that culture, that's foreign. That's, that's sinful. That's wicked to actually treat a neighbor like that or even a guest that knocks at your door. Hospitality was how you modeled the love of God to people. You opened up your heart, your life, and your home to them. And so you're going to go on your missions trip, and he's like, I don't even want you to get on to, you know, whatever, uh, booker.com or whatever thing you got to go through uh, to, to get a, a place. Um, I'm going to open up a door. You're going to knock on the doors there, and whoever lets you in, I love that he says this, stay there till you depart. Like, so the first house you knock on, if they let you in, that's, you know, that's your um, host home. When you find out that there's a pool three doors down, disciples, you can't leave, all right? But the couscous is better there. It's like, no, okay? All right? So, so remain where you are, because ministry is not about your comfort. Ministry is about not how you can serve yourself, but how you can serve others. So just stick to where you are. And then he gives them, listen to this, he gives them some really strong instructions for how to navigate the Jewish people in that context who don't receive the call to repent, who reject the good news that the Messiah has come. I, I want to point that out. Um, they're not preaching to people who have never heard of the Messiah before. They're not preaching in a Gentile context where usually there's a lot of work to do. You've got to get to like creator. There's a creator and there's one of them and you've sinned against him. Oh, here's what sin is. Like those are all um, you know, Jewish concepts that we've adopted as Gentiles in our theology and usually when you're evangelizing to a Gentile in our context, there, there tends to be a lot of work to do. And I think, I'm ranting right now, but go with me. I think to... In our context, there's even more work because we're, we're like in this post-Christian age. So it's not just about building up theology. Uh, Jeremiah talks about the ministry of tearing down things. There's just a lot to tear down in our culture about thinking about God and who he is and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and so I, I want to point that out, that there's a different context here. Now, in this Jewish context, it's a context where the Messiah has been promised for centuries from the very beginning. And he's come in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has given people every reason to trust in him. The reasons why, whatever the reasons are for rejecting him, it cannot be that he hasn't revealed himself to be God in the flesh. It will, and it always is, only an issue of the heart. The sinful heart that's rejecting God, that doesn't want to bow my knee and surrender to God. Romans says that every person knows the truth of God. You don't need a preacher to tell you there's a God who created you and that you've sinned against him. What we do is we suppress that truth because we don't want to be accountable to that standard because I'm guilty before God. So there's a lot to unpack there. As the, he sends them into that context, he says this. Whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, notice this, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city of people that were promised the Messiah, that knew of Jesus, and yet they had chosen to, instead of receive him, they willfully reject him. Not only do they not hear you, they don't even receive you into their house. This, in that culture, this is as offensive as a rejection can get. You, you can't even come inside. And, and so notice the instruction Jesus gives. He goes, if that happens, if in ministry you have stuck it out, with someone who, who understands the conduct of the gospel, you've served the Lord. There, there comes a time, this requires, by the way, the discernment of the Spirit. There comes a time where the best step to do in ministry to someone is to shake it off and surrender it to God. And it's hard because, you know, there's some of us that are just like, yeah, that's how I approach ministry with every person. It's like, well, chill, okay? It's like I knocked at your door, you didn't let me in, so, you know, 
shake it off and more tolerable, you know, for Sodom and Gomorrah than you, you know, it's like, um, you can only shake it off if you've stuck it out. If you've stuck it out, if you've labored in love. This is, remember, this is people that have a context of God sticking it out with them. Um, and there's times where God's saying, hey, you know, stay there. Remain faithful. Be present. And then there's times where you just say, Lord, I, I'm not salvation. I'm not the Savior. It's not my message that saves. It's yours. I'm just the mailman delivering the news extending your love, and you shake it off. Now, th this language is really interesting. The idea of shaking it off in that culture, this is uh, pretty, pretty uh, incredible stuff. Whenever a Jew would return back to, to um, Israel from Gentile territory, ceremonially, they, were literally, they would literally shake the Gentile dust off their feet as a symbol to say, I'm clean. Like, the idea was like even Gentile dirt is unclean. And the, the picture of this is a clean conscience. Do you see that? And so to have that clean conscience, you have to have make sure that, first of all, you've proclaimed the whole message of Christ to them. You can't be like, well, I showed them some good works and they didn't receive Christ, so I've sh shaken them off, you know? There's got to be a clean conscience before God that says, I did everything I could to be a faithful witness to this person. I labored. I served the Lord. And now I'm, I'm going to shake it off and trust him with the rest. Because he's the one that saves. He's the one that transforms. And this is a testimony against them. And I just want to say, like, I, I think there's some, I'm just feeling like this is relevant to me. And I just have a, maybe an impression that this is relevant to somebody in here. Um, you need to shake it off. Maybe there's that person that you are just, like, wearing the responsibility of where they're at. It's not for you to fix. There's times where you just got to hear the Lord say, give it to me. Trust me with them. Shake it off. And sometimes it's all it takes. Just like, shake it off, Taylor Swift. She knows what she's saying, right? It's true. Paul said, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. It's okay to have compassion. We want to have that. We want to care for people. But the best way to care for someone is to trust them to God. We see the disciples, they go, we're going to wrap it up here with our last one. They go, uh, verse 12 um, says, they went out, they preached that everywhere that people should repent. So they're going out, doing the Jesus stuff. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus. They're speaking the truth about a coming day of judgment for guilty sinners, of which all of us represent apart from Jesus. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is awaiting sinful humans is righteous judgment. Now, the good news of the gospel is Jesus became sin on your and my behalf. He took our sin. He took our judgment so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him. So that you can be forgiven. Isn't that, isn't that the best news you could ever hear? God treated Jesus as though he were you so that he could look at you as though you were Jesus. He could see you as holy, righteous, clean, and forgiven. That's the gospel. It's a righteousness you receive by grace through your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Um, and that's what they're going around preaching. That people should turn from their sin and trust in the Messiah. They also, it's interesting, the next verse says that they also went around uh, healing, casting out demons, the power of God is manifested, not just in their words, but in their actions. They're caring for the sick, and they healed them. All right, so Jesus' ministry is missed at home. It's multiplied through his disciples. And can we close with one more? Great. This is going to be a great one. All right. Lastly, I'm just going to shake that off. Lastly, is his ministry is misunderstood by the masses. And I just want to say... Um, if you are um, 
setting your heart to follow Jesus, you need to prepare yourself to be misunderstood. You're going to be misunderstood. Because as much as there's a God at work behind you moving the kingdom of God forward, there's an enemy who's the father of lies who's going to plant all sorts of deceptions about you. And it's also not your job to go around cleaning up the mess of misunderstanding. You just be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And this is Jesus. Uh, we see Jesus, is, his ministry is misunderstood by the masses. Here's what it says in verse 14. It says, King Herod heard of him. So, so Herod actually hears about Jesus. For Jesus' name had become well known. And, and Herod has this um, haunting guilt over what he did to John the Baptist. It's great. I'm really glad he does, right? And he's haunted by what he did. And so his conclusion about Jesus, now you're going to see three different opinions about Jesus. They hear about his ministry, and, and, and uh, Herod says, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Okay, Like when you're just racked by guilt, you just start to go insane. He's not even making sense. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. And everyone's just around him like, yeah, 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 king, sure, sure, sure. Okay. The next verse says, others said, it's Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was this miracle-working prophet. Maybe this, didn't the Bible say that Elijah would return before the Messiah? Scripture teaches that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. That was embodied in John the Baptist. Others say, is this the prophet or like one of the prophets from the Old Testament? And then the king corrects everybody one more time. He says, no, this is John whom I beheaded. Definitely. They're like, well, you're the king. You get the last word, I guess, you know. He's been raised from the dead. Now, now he gets to say his opinion twice as the king. Nonetheless, all these are, at the end of the day, are opinions. And each of them are kind of taking a part of Jesus and making it the whole. It's kind of like, kind of like Jesus' hometown people who were doing that to him. They knew, they knew little enough to think they knew everything. Well, in this case... They were drawing their own conclusions about Jesus based on their own particular views of him. And fortunately, that, that doesn't lead you to the truth of Jesus. All that leaves you with is what you have, is an opinion about him. And, and the, listen, opinions about Jesus don't save. The truth of Jesus saves. Well, this is kind of what I think Jesus was like. You know, when I read this verse, I see him like this. It's like, well, what about that verse? What about that verse? What about that part of his nature? What about that part of his life? What about what, what Paul calls the fullness of Christ? Not the limited understanding of who I think he is, a good man, a good teacher, whatever our perspectives may be. At the end of the day, there are two ways to conclude about who Jesus is. There's two ways. There's opinion or there's revelation. Either the ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago that happened, Jesus historically died on a cross, and he historically, factually rose from the dead. That's history. Either all you have about that is your opinion, and you're still in your sins, or you allow God to open your eyes to see the truth of who he is. Who was Jesus? What, what does his ministry really mean? And here's what's amazing. This is where freedom is found. When you stop concluding on your own, you start saying, God, show me who you are. I want to know who you are in truth. In fact, uh, Mike, if you want to just show that last verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I, I love this scripture. I'll invite the band to come out. We'll close here. Paul says this, It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness in the very beginning. That same work he did in creation. This is, by the way, this is what a Christian is. Christian, a Christian is someone 
that God said, let there be light upon the darkness of their hearts. And he's shown in our hearts the truth of who Jesus is. Have you experienced that? Have you moved beyond your opinion and said, God, reveal yourself to me? Has he done that? Has Jesus revealed himself to you as a sufficient savior for your sin? As your shepherd? He's shown in the dark places. This is something that Paul says we should also pray regularly. God, flood my heart with light. Fill the dark spots with your light. He's shown in our hearts. Notice this for ministry. To give light everywhere I go. This is ministry. Giving light to the knowledge of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We, we don't exist to go around to try to beam our own light to people of how awesome we are. We're those who God saw our lives and he said, let there be light. We've received the light of who Jesus is as our sufficient Savior. And the way we live our lives is like Jesus. We abandon ourselves to God's purposes and we say, God, use me to give the light of who you are to the world around me, to illuminate those dark places. Whatever I have, however I can, God, I want to serve you wherever I am. Amen?